You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your hosts, Jessica and Caroline, and we're excited to bring you this week's episode. If any of you follow Tom or Getting Smart on social media, you probably noticed that Tom was recently in Europe to visit the founders of My Machine. Caroline, I loved seeing all of the pictures of the places he visited and the students he got to meet. Yeah, it definitely looked like it was a wonderful visit, and I love seeing all the different places he got to ride his bike, too. Jess, one thing you and I both know a lot about right now, given we both have two-year-olds, is what great imaginations children have. Imagine if we asked every child what their dream was and then helped them bring it to life. My Machine is a 10-year-old nonprofit in Belgium that helps bring dreams to life by recruiting college design students and high school prototypers to bring to life the dreams of elementary students. I can only imagine what my two-year-old's imagination (laughs) would come about today. Um, While Tom was with the founders, he asked them about their story and how they've scaled up to help over half a million students worldwide gain creativity, entrepreneurship, and agency. Let's listen in to learn a little bit more. All right, we're here with the My Machine uh, founders. I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves. We'll start with Philip. I'm Philip Muris, co-founder of My Machine. And Jan. I'm Jan de Spiegelare, co-founder of My Machine. And Pete. Uh, I am Pete Egrimopri, co-founder of My Machine. So, uh, Jan, you're a, a, a trained social scientist. You work in, in philanthropy. Um, give us a, a sense of the local geography. Where, where are we? So we're in the province of West Flanders in Belgium. It's uh, in the region of Kortrijk, which is in the south of the province. It's a very economical, entrepreneurial-driven region. But especially in the last few years, uh, with a lot of interest, focus on design, innovation, creativity. So a lot of local actors, uh, educational organizations, but also other partners, are very much looking on one hand at each other to cooperate, but also outside the region, which didn't really happen before. And there's lots of construction happening here, yes, right? Always. We, can, we can hear some of that. There's always lots of construction things happening here. But it's interesting that the last few years, uh, this region is really looking uh, both inside and outside the region for new examples, new ways of working together, collaboration. And I guess this is one of the special things because we three are working in different organizations in different settings who usually don't really have a link on a professional basis. Um, But still, it's very typical for this region, for this area, that in the outskirts, in the suburbs of our professional works, things are happening. A lot of creative things are happening. And that's how my machine also got shifted. Thriving economy, um, but a sense that the education system isn't really keeping pace on on a number of fronts. Is that fair to say? I'm not an educational expert, but as a father, I felt a little bit not frustrated, but worried that right. a lot of things that's happening in schools are very structured and maybe too structured and maybe always following uh, the known paths. So no new experiments, uh, not much room for creativity or new things. Right. I think in Belgium, we have a very good educational system, which we're very proud of, but still we feel it misses a lot of 
opportunities right. and it's it feels a little bit like a um too self uh confident that we are doing okay so let's keep everything like it is and that was not very very reassuring right philip you have a a fun personal um a story about the the origin of my machine so where where did this idea originate well, the idea originated about 10 years ago. It was a former co-worker of mine, um, had a son uh, named Oscar, about six years old. And they were living in a beautiful house, beautiful scenery with a lot of uh, garden looking out over uh, the water. And the son had learned in school about uh, the Romans they used to live there. And he went to his father and say. I invented a machine to look for Roman treasure hidden in the garden. And the idea had everything. It had uh, machinery, it had mechanics, it had buttons, it had different settings. And he gave it to his father and said, please build this for me. Unfortunately, the father was a philosopher by training. Uh, it was handy to some extent, but actually a bit worrying. He said, well, what, do, what should I do with this? Because... Uh, this is a very good idea anyway. We, sh- we should look for this treasure. You never know if we ever sell this, uh, this house to somebody else, which also was a major concern of the child. Uh, so we discussed about it with a lot of people, including with Jan and with Peter and with others, and actually came to an idea, fantastic idea about the child. We have many engineering schools in the region. We have these highly skilled uh, technical school students as well. Why don't we build it? Uh, and we start from the idea of the child, we go to the engineering students, and then we go to the technical schools, and why don't we attempt to build it? And before we knew it, my machine was born. So uh, a couple of things I just want to underscore. So it, it, super important that the father didn't just dismiss Absolutely. The, the comment, which many of us would have done offhandedly um, as being a crazy idea, right? He, he cherished the idea and, uh, and helped his son explore the idea. So, Pete, uh, when did you hear about this idea and when, how did you come to think of this as, a, as an organization and a movement? Well, Philip, Jan and I knew each other and um, we were, um, so we knew each other's background. We started talking uh, about this Oscar and the story that Philip uh, t- told about. And um, so that's, you know, we started talking about let's do this, but maybe not just do this just for Oscar. There's probably thousands of Oscars, boys and girls out there with brilliant ideas that we could help out and all of them could learn. And the concerns that Jan already said about education, leaving out maybe some of the options of being a little bit more creative. So that's how we that's how we really said let's do this, but let's multiply it and not just do it for one child, but multiply for for lots of children. And then what happened was we wanted to do this experiment here uh, in the Kortrijk region with some teachers and professors that we knew, uh, which which uh, and they they all said yes, which was brilliant, and we got a lot of attention, a lot of. Um, even from the very start, lots of media attention. So the pressure was on uh, from the very start. And um, and another thing that happened was that uh, somehow United Nations heard about it and they uh, awarded us a World Summit Award. And we were invited on the World Summit of United Nations in Mexico. And all of a sudden we were there with uh, talking with people from 91 countries saying, well, the reasons you're doing it to improve the education system in Belgium, to bring more creativity, bring more entrepreneurial skills, uh, promote STEM and STEAM, 
seeing all the things that were, you know, that as we as we explain it today. Um, we have the same challenges in our country. So could you bring the model to our country? And at the very start, that, that was not our idea. But then we said, well, this is a great opportunity. So we should actually address that opportunity and say, and see where this idea could take us. And that's how we started creating chapters in different countries. Let's talk about the specifics. So what's the specific, you go to a classroom and you, you give them this really interesting prompt. What What is that? What's very specific about my machine is that it's a unique collaboration of all educational levels. So what happens is we go into the elementary classroom and ask the children, if we can build a dream machine for you, what would that machine do? And the children start making a drawing, uh, some of them even, you know, several drawings of all kinds of uh, dream machines that they want to build. And um, it means that we address the ideas of the children at that very moment, the, you know, what, what is important in his or her life of that child at that very moment. And what happens then in step number two, uh, university students, product designers, engineers, game designers, could be architect students, um, they, they start translating that idea into a possible concept. And in step number three, we then bring in technical secondary school students and they then help out in actually building a real working prototype. So in one school year, we go from idea to concept to work to working prototype. So there's a handful of really cool ideas there that I want to underscore. So the first is you're asking elementary school kids about a dream machine. For some of them, that's probably the first time an adult that has asked them uh, for an idea, right? For a machine that would make the world a better place. So that's, it's a super interesting prompt, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it must yield some really interesting, sometimes wonderful, sometimes um, uh, discouraging answers, right? Because it really does bring to top of mind what kids are thinking about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, for example, uh, uh, we had this child once saying, well, I'd like a, a machine that makes happy homes. And so then you right. know, like something's right. going on in this, it was a girl and in, in this girl's life uh, with her parents and so on. So, so yes, it brings up things uh, yeah. with the young children, but sometimes it's also just fun ideas. So it's, it, it's, you know, dependent on the child and what's happening in his or her life at that, that very moment. This open question, which is very important to my machine, it's an open question. What is your dream machine? Um, but the fact that we ask this open question uh, is important to really address the, the, the unlimited creativity of the children. And indeed, um, we get that feedback a lot that the children say, well, it, it is so important to us that in, adults are actually paying attention to us. That adults really yeah. say, we think that what, what, that your idea, your idea matters. And so not just that we think it matters, but even more so, we will actually make sure that we bring it to life, right. which is incre in incre incredibly important in many societies. Um, because if you want later on in their lives, if you want people that are, uh, that are open to opportunity, people that want to do things, people that want to contribute to society rather than be a consumer of society, you need people that, that, uh, that, that, that have learned that having ideas is important and also have learned that what it takes to bring an idea to life. And what they learn is, how you bring an idea to life is that you you can actually you cannot do it alone so you need to collaborate with people you need to respect each other's talent you need to 
not you need to not being afraid of the unknown saying like well we don't have a clue at this moment how to produce a stream machine but you know what let's just start have a go and we'll see how how we'll get there and those are very important values that these young people take with them in their lives as they grow up later on we'll come back and talk about the agency that this is produces in young people but jan do you have a a favorite uh, machine idea that you've heard of or seen It's not really a favorite one. Pete and Flip knows which one I'm talking about. It's a rather disturbing one. Uh, for the very first year we did my machine, we experimented with the schools that our children were in. So my daughter was in the first pilot year participating. She was seven or eight at the time. And when they presented all the machines, the teacher, I didn't know about any machines that were presented and the teacher took me into the class she called me into the classroom say you have to look at this what your daughter tia uh, has come up with and it was a robot uh, she drew and it was me the robot was me and it was a machine to have her dad stay home more often wow That's and i was close to home i was so devastated yeah. <laughs> in a way and The thing is, we didn't build that machine, but it completely changed the way how I behaved when I was away from home. Right. Like when I traveled a lot, I communicated in a different way to, to my kids and, and back home, showed them more, Skyped more, showing, making them more part of where we were. And it, it, it really changed something. And it's, uh, so yeah, that's my thing that will, and mm. at that moment, I remember very well. If I get this feedback, then a lot of other people, so yeah. they're actually doing something. But a great reminder to ask kids uh, good questions and listen hard to their answers, right? Yeah. Philip, do you have a, a favorite My Machine idea? There are uh, several machines that come to mind, uh, but the one I like very much, because also for the quality it has been made, is Fatrick. And Fatrick uh, was invented by a boy who wanted to have a spelling partner for playing soccer. And usually he had to phone around and send messages to his friend, can you play football with me? And usually he was alone. So he invented a robot that would be his sparring partner. Now the engineering students uh, took that on and they actually invented a, a volume, which is around a round, round ball, uh, in such a form that when you kick a, a ball to it in the right angle, the ball returns, so it's really a sparring partner. And when you manage to hit um, a circle in the belly of the robot, the head explodes. So it, and the head is also the place where you store the ball. So it's very useful. And the next step, they were, uh, went to a technical school where they were uh, doing the woodwork kind of carpenting. And uh, 16-cent-year-old boys built it. It's huge. It's two meters high. It is a massive thing. It's a beauty. How they did it, it still exists. It's there for seven years already in schoolyards. It's used a lot, it's used on a daily basis. It's fantastic. So the, I, the children had a fantastic idea. Uh, the engineering student actually brought it to a next level. But what then the technical students did with it was even more fantastic. So for me, that's a real explanation and demonstrates what my machine can be. So Pete, um you guys make this sort of complicated by including secondary students that uh, that that help um, design the idea, and then higher ed students. I guess higher ed students that design it, and secondary students that help 
prototype it. So why add that level of complication to have three different groups of, of young people involved? Uh, I was going to say probably because we love complications, but it's, uh, <laughs> if you look at the three of us, we're very complementary, you know, people, uh, uh, which makes it fun and interesting and complicated at the same time. So it's, yeah, but no, the true answer is that uh, it, it just seemed so right to do, um, to actually, for the very first time that we thought, uh, we didn't heard about it in Belgium, at least, that we would unite all educational levels to collaborate as peers, elementary, uh, step number two, higher education, step number three, technical secondary school. So it would be because all of them can learn from it. And um, so the elementary school children learn that the world is malleable, that they can contribute to society. Uh, they'll be taking serious, uh, their, their ideas will be taken seriously and so on. Their ideas matter. All of them learn what it takes to bring an idea to life. The secondary school students learn that they can also have a very important added value of the whole process of bringing an idea to life where they can actually improve in many cases improve and in some details improve the 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 scale models and and the technical designs that the university college students have produced uh, to make sure that the production in the end becomes a lot easier or maybe cheaper and so on so that they they can actually also contribute to that process and not just uh, not just produce what what the engineering students have have, uh, have designed in technical design so and of course for the engineer for the engineering or I mean the higher education students it's like uh, a great way to learn their future jobs so all of them learn and we thought like this is just the right thing to do and knowing that it would add complexity but it was right and in the end up until now we've been to many countries since and we haven't come across any other initiative that actually does that uh, that actually unites all educational levels to collaborate as peers and so it, it, yes it is complex but it is um, I think also very important for the students that are involved of all ages of all levels uh, that they actually what happens is that because of the fact that all of a sudden they, they collaborate as a peer in the same group, um, the age difference kind of like disappears. It's like we're all, all, all of us are students, so let's do this together. And it's brilliant to see. What, what are some of the skill benefits that you see developed in the young people? Well, for the different levels um, together, I would say um, maybe one of the important things is, is also, of course, about creativity, that having ideas is important and also what it takes to bring an idea to life. That's, that's very important. Also, the entrepreneurial skills. Um, that if you want some, if you want to bring something to life, that you need to collaborate, that you need to respect each other's talent, that you need to learn to communicate with each other. If you have some different views or different angles, like okay, how how do you communicate about that? How do you how do you put things forward? Um, so all of those things uh, matter and are important. And of course, it's also about science and technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, as STEM or STEAM, uh, as we call it uh, in, in late couple of, in, in the last couple of years. So all of those, uh, all of those, uh, you know, values and, uh, are inside the, right. the machine model. It, it sounds like the higher ed students would really gain um, from some design thinking that happens here. Then the first step in design thinking is usually empathy research. And so if they have to go interview these young children and really walk in their shoes and understand the design, yeah. It sounds like a, a valuable step in the design process and then help the young person think about who the customers for this particular machine might be. So yeah. that seems like useful exercise in design thinking. 
it's it's uh, my machine is design thinking. So indeed, the whole process is is you know the the iterations that are going on into the design process to to come up with the final concept and and the working prototype in the end. But indeed, the very first step. That's why in the very first step, it's actually the university students. It's they go inside the elementary classroom. Uh, because that uh, that first phase about you know empathy design about you know the ideation, it's important for them to know, you know who's the child and why did they ask this and what's important in, uh, for for this child. If you would take the example of Matisse, was a six-year-old boy that said, "Well, uh, can you produce me a machine that chases away the ghosts?" If if the university students would not have been in with the, in the classroom discussing this with Matisse. They wouldn't have learned that for Matisse it was important. It was very important that not all the ghosts should be gone because the good ones need to stay and protect him. And that's how they've learned. Okay, so we need we need something that act, that could maybe give a status report to Matisse so that he knows that these good ghosts will stay and protect him, and the other ones are gone, and so on and so on. So it's that's that's in step number one crucial to learn about to, you know to talk to your customer to put it that way and to learn about what 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 are the values for this customer what he or she is thinks thinks is very important Jan you um, you work in philanthropy uh, and particularly community foundations when what benefits do the your corporate partners and your philanthropic partners see in the program why do they support my machine before my machine we uh, we are known to support a lot about philanthropic projects charitable projects like typical disabled people homeless people poverty issues but for us it was as a community foundation uh, because actually it started with three of us as persons but our respective organizations backed us up and were the core investors of my machine, the, the pilot investors. And for as far as the community foundation is concerned, it was very important to, uh, for us as a perception that not only helping uh, or supporting people in need, but also giving opportunities to everybody is a very important aspect of community building and strengthening the social fabric of a certain community. It's when you invest in the roots and the younger people of your community and not only look at problems, but also at opportunities that gives you a completely different perspective. And that was, we were perceived as an organization that supports children in need. But now we suddenly had kind of image as this is also an organization that invests in youth and creativity and that gives a completely different dynamic to the community foundation. And it also opened a lot of extra funding from private partners, a lot of investment on that part. And I think for community foundations and philanthropy, philanthropy as a whole, I think this is a part that is sometimes missed by philanthropy, focusing too much on needs and not as often on opportunities. Uh, so that's my personal view. So curious what um, all three of you think success looks like. So you, you, you've got a lot of density here in in Belgium and you have chapters starting all over the world. Um, if this works really well, um, how is the world different and better five or ten years from now? What's your take, Pete? Well, we'd love to we'd love we'd love to grow the model still. So uh, we'd love to have the model 
in the next couple of years in, in, for example, five countries on each continent. So that's what we're trying to do to grow the model because of all the societal benefits. And so, yes, we do hope that the world would be a little bit better because we would we would have uh, lots of uh, young people um, 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 that have been through this this engaging experiment and know that they can come up with solutions. One of the things is maybe that you know maybe to to back up that point a little bit. If I in 2012 I read an article in the Guardian which 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 specified the American team that addressed the challenge that the, the president in 1961 opposed upon the country like we want to land on the moon in 19 you know it, it, within a decade and actually i wasn't aware but the team that was uh, that was working on this assignment the average age of that team was 28 years so that was really a really young team and the team that was put on this assignment which to many people probably sounded like this is impossible you know this is just they just had a go and the reason that this team could do it it was because it was a prior investment of american society to the education system and those young people were coming out of this investment into the education system as young people that were capable of addressing this undoable assignment of landing on the moon and and in the end they made it work so i think that's what we try to bring Jan, do you, do you think this idea is going to make schools different and better uh, as a result? Hmm. I haven't. I haven't got a clue. I can only, rather than schools, I think it can change people right. from a very young age. Something that we see as an example: children from age five, six, seven years old have all the imagination in the world, right. the ideas they bring. Then we look at children from 11, 12, and suddenly there's, it's more pragmatical issues, it's more pragmatical ideas, completely different types of dream machines. So somewhere in between those, that age group, something changes that gives children less imagination, which I think is linked also to creativity and entrepreneurship in the future, whether they want to be entrepreneurs or start something from their own. So what I can only wish for, and what I, from a gut feeling, have the perception that it actually helps children on a young age to keep track or to value that kind of imagination, that it's not something that has to diminish or they have to uh, get rid of. On the, on the contrary. Well, it's fun to see uh, some of your elementary students now participating yeah. as high school students and, and even uh, college students and going on to careers in, in engineering and product design because of the uh, experience that they've had with my machine. Yeah. Uh, Philip, thoughts on what success looks like a few years from now? Um, I asked that question in a second. I'd, let me first share a very personal uh, experience I had. My youngest son uh, is uh, now turning 18 and next year he has to make a decision what he's going to do the rest of his life. And usually as a parent, we had a discussion with Jan and Pete, but as a parent you say, get yourself a proper education, then look for a business which has a future and uh, be careful, make sure you have sufficient skills. I mean, all the wrong stuff parents usually say to the children. And he made his decision. I'm not going to tell you which one, but he made the decision. And his motivation was, the world is changing and I want to be part of it. Okay, which I found that's a very good motivation to do. 
similarly, in his same class, there's two of his best friends who actually got a who've done my machine in the past. And they initially, the first wanted to become like an industrial engineer and the other wanted to, initially wanted to do something with the medical the profession. They both changed their mind through my machine and they're going to go for product designers. Hmm. Okay, and they go to West University College. Um, so again, with the same motivation, uh, I want to do something which changes the world, which leave the product or changes the mindset. And I think that is a fantastic motivation. I mean, we should not be simply consumers of what is going on in the world. We simply should not be, let's say, undergoing all the big changes that are going on in society, being worldwide or being a local community. We should be active, motivated, engaged people, each from our own skill set, trying to be part of that. And uh, I've seen it through my own children and their friends. What my machine is doing is a very early age saying you can be part of something that leaves some marks behind. You can be part of a bigger movement that people from all over the world come and see who invented this great idea, what I did with my team. And when you have this motivation at a very young age, it changes the world, perhaps a little stone in the river, but at least changes the world. Right. So answering your question, what do I want my machine to be in 10 years? I want to have as many children, as many countries from as many communities have this great experience. Great. Thanks to the founding trio of My Machines, now a, a global movement for creativity and entrepreneurship. Thanks, guys. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you, Brian. Wow, that was a great story. It's been a real treat getting to know the founders of My Machine. They're thoughtful and generous, and we appreciate the creativity, entrepreneurship, and agency they're spreading worldwide. To learn more, check out mymachineglobal.org or read Piet's recent blog post on gettingsmart.com called Teaching Students How to Bring Their Dreams to Life. Don't worry if you don't have a pen. As always, we've got it linked in the show notes and on the blog. And for more on design thinking, listen to Season 3, Episode 35, a review of design-focused schools. And in Season 3, Episode 32, you'll learn why Michael Fullen is so optimistic that deeper learning is a global trend. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening in to the episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future content. We have some really great interviews coming your way. And for all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off.